Okay, so we are in our Apostles' Creed series. We're continuing in that. And we have gone through Jesus Christ. We've talked about God and different attributes of God, the Holy Spirit. We have seen different aspects of the church. As Jim spoke the last couple of weeks. And now we come to, we believe in the forgiveness of sins. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. And forgiveness is an interesting topic, I think, for us. Because often we have a hard time accepting forgiveness, don't we? Often we want to beat ourselves up a little bit and hang on to something a little longer than we need to. But I think it's even harder for us to offer forgiveness when it's needed. As I've alluded to, I've had a bit of an opportunity this week to practice what I preach, as it were. Uh, For those of you who don't know, there was a robbery this week at Sims Pharmacy on the corner of Trafalgar and White Oaks. And Sarah and I and Cadman were rushing, ironically, to get to there before it closed. And so it closed at 8 o'clock, and so at 7.57, I rushed in with my wallet in my hand to go pick up a package, because there's a Canada Post there. And as soon as I walk in, there's another gentleman running out, and he runs up to me, and he says, Quick, run! Get out of here! stopped and I'm like what are you talking about man and I kept kind of walking and he's like no run and he runs so I start I thought okay maybe I should listen so I started to try to turn around and run when I was met with a, another guy and he was dressed all in blue I don't know if it was a, a hospital scrubs or if it was an actual hazmat suit but and he had a gas mask with the two things and, and, a, and a cap a germ cap and gloves and a handgun and he pointed it right in my face And he says, you got to come with me. And so you can imagine all of the things that went through my mind at that point. I mean, the first one was, I'm going to die. This is, this is it. And so as he's walking me down through the aisles of greeting cards and, and, you know, fun fanfare, I'm having to decide quickly, what am I going to do? Am I going to fight? Am I going to run? Or am I just going to see what happens? And I, I was thinking, because by the grace of God, Sarah remained in the car. Uh, Caddy was fussing, and we wanted to keep him awake, so she just waited in the car with him. So they're 30 feet away from me. And so as soon as I turned around the corner, I saw that there was other hostages on the ground, tied up. And I thought, okay, well, they're still alive. If they're still alive, they're not killing anybody yet, so I'm going to wait this out. I'm going to try to do as few stupid things as possible to not get myself killed because I want to go back to Sarah and Caddy. So I laid down, or they pushed me down on the ground, and the guy starts freaking out because one got away, one got away. Hostages, I mean. And he comes back and he and proceeds to spray us down with pepper spray or some sort of spray and typically when you get sprayed with this it's from a distance but he did it about an inch away from my face and then he left and yelled at his friend to hurry up came back did it again left did it again did it again so over and over again we got sprayed and so you can imagine it's the pain and i'm wondering what's going to happen and all this is going on finally they run out Mercifully, they, they didn't shoot us, shoot anybody. 
and they took off. Hear the footsteps, the doors close. So that we get up and then it's chaos at that point because there's a bunch of people who can't see. I thought I was blind. I could barely breathe. I was, suff- I was suffocating every time I t- uh, exhale. I couldn't inhale for a, f- uh, for a moment. So every time I exhaled, I thought that, well, I can't breathe now. Now I'm just going to suffocate and pass. So that was going on. So I managed to get, splash some water in my face, which ironically made it worse. And then I made it outside, finally. Screamed Sarah's name. She was trying to help, but we got the baby in the car. She touches she touches my face. She thought I'd been shot. She had no, she was oblivious to what was going on. She thought I'd been shot because of the, the redness of the stuff and me holding my face. And then the police were there screaming at me to get behind the car. And I was like, I can't see your car. <laughs> but now I got a choice, right? Now I'm just supposed to forgive these people after going through all of that. I'm angry. I was angry, right? Have you ever been there? You ever, you ever had someone do something? Maybe not to that degree, but have you ever had someone do something to you so bad that you didn't think that they deserved forgiveness? In fact, you thought maybe this is, they did something so bad, I can't see how a good and just God could ever possibly forgive these people. Right, we, we got a camp. We got a, a crew of those those people. Right, we got Hitler's in that group. We got Pol Pot. We got Stalin. We got we, we got a few of these folks that are in this group that are in the unforgivable category. And people hurt us, and we want to put them in that category too. Or maybe maybe we think about the laundry list of things that we've done. We think about the people that we've hurt and the damage we've done to our own selves, and we wonder. How could a God, a good and loving God, possibly ever forgive me? But that wouldn't be the God of the Bible, though, would it? If we were thinking that the, this God that we worship, that we think about, couldn't forgive, would it? It wouldn't be the God of the Bible. He is a God who forgives. In fact, 1 John 1 9 teaches us that if we confess our sins, right, there's that contingency. We need to, we need to own up to what went on. But if we confess, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. This is our Heavenly Father's business, is forgiveness. That's the business that He's in. And not only does he forgive, but because of who he is and what he wants for us, forgiveness, when we think of all forgiveness, is action packed with goodness. And that's what we want to be thinking about today. As, as we go through, and, and I stand up here and talk for the next 20 or so minutes, we think about our God, that there is freedom in forgiveness. This is what we want to be seeing today. This is the idea we want to have going around in the back of our minds. There's freedom in forgiveness. And we think of John... Chapter 8, where Jesus is talking and he's uh, convinced a few Jewish people that he is the Messiah and they're coming to him and they're starting to believe. And they say to him in chapter 8, verse 31, to the Jews that believe, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, if you, re- you will really be my disciples, if you hang on to that, and then you will know the truth 
And the truth of my teaching, it's going to set you free. Now, this freedom thing was confusing for them. They said, but we're, we're the sons of Abraham, Jesus. We've never been slaves to anybody. How can you say that we need to be set free? And then Jesus says these words. He says, very truly I tell you, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And I don't care how good we think we are. Sometimes we, we think things that we shouldn't think, we do things we shouldn't do, or we say things we shouldn't say. But we are all people who fall short of the glory of God. And he says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son or a daughter belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So the teaching that Jesus is talking about, part of the teaching that Jesus is talking about, is that we find freedom when we seek forgiveness from God. When we seek forgiveness from God, we find freedom. So today, one of the things, the first thing that I want you guys to walk out of here with today is this clear picture in your mind. A very, very clear picture of your mind of what a God who forgives looks like. Because forgiveness is rooted deeply in a passionate God who is graceful. That he is very graceful. We're going to be looking at Luke 15. If you want to turn there, I'm not going to be reading directly from it. I'm going to be telling you three stories. So if you want to turn to Luke 15, this is going to be the backdrop. And this is a trilogy of parables that Jesus uses. So I'm going to set the stage for you. So he's standing there. And he's teaching, and there's people that are listening to him. And this, these peoples, they're on the, the different ends of the spectrum of society. We see that there's some Pharisees and some scribes there, and they're listening to him, but they also, they're muttering, it says, the text says, they're, they're, gr- they're grumbling amongst themselves because there's what they would call tax collectors and sinners there. Now, tax collectors is pretty straightforward. They, they weren't appreciative of that. They felt that these people were ones that had capitulated to Rome. They're following their oppressors. But the sinners is a little bit different because they would have known that everybody was a sinner, that they were sinners. But these sinners were super sinners in their mind. They were the people that were the money lenders, that were taking too much profit from it and holding other people underneath their thumb with money. They were the prostitutes that were making uh, money off selling themselves, things like that. These were the people that were the truly, as far as they were concerned, the lowest of the low. And so Jesus senses that there's this idea that people think that there's others or some that don't deserve or can't have the grace of God. So he starts to tell these stories. The first one, he says, imagine you're a shepherd and you have a hundred sheep, but you've discovered that one of them, one of your sheep is gone. Wouldn't you leave the 99 out in the field and go and search for that one sheep? So you can imagine in the room, some people are starting to nod. They're starting to say, yeah, that's exactly what we would do. He said, well, when you find it, wouldn't you rejoice? Wouldn't you pick that sheep up and put it on your shoulder and go back and contact your friends and tell them, rejoice with me. I have found my sheep. And maybe some more heads would be nodding. Of course, that's what we do. The sheep has value. It's a shepherding. It's an agrarian culture. And then Jesus is going to say, this is what it is like 
in the kingdom of heaven. When one sinner repents, there is more rejoicing, more of a party than when 99 people who don't need to repent stay where they are. This is what your heavenly father thinks about those who repent and ask for forgiveness. And then he says, imagine you're a woman that has 10 coins, but she loses one. Wouldn't she stop what she was doing and turn the house right upside down, lighting lamps and sweeping the floor looking for that coin? And the people that were there that maybe, you know, they didn't really like shepherds or sheep, but they understand money. They would not start to nod their heads and say, yeah, of course, that's what she'd do. This It's money. It has value. So Jesus says, that is exactly what is going to happen. When she finds that one piece of coin, she's going to do the same thing as the shepherd. She's going to rejoice, and she's going to call all her friends, and it's going to be a party because she's found her coin. This is exactly how your Heavenly Father looks at you when you repent, when one sinner repents. Now, this is really probably dividing the room, or really dividing the room at this time, because the Pharisees and the tax collectors, this is hitting hard against their worldview. This is something that they don't want to be hearing because they think that they're the ones that are in the box, in the righteous box, in the box that allows them to be in relationship with the Father. These other people are outside the box, but Jesus has tossed out their box. He's blown that box up, and he's made a great big box that everybody has the possibility to get into if they seek forgiveness. And so he goes into the third story, and he starts talking about, and this is, so that was, oh yeah. This third story, we, if we've grown up in the church or we've read our Bible, we've probably heard this story as the prodigal son. But the word prodigal, it means to spend lavishly. And when we think about this story, the story of the lost son, we think about this, the person, the main character of the story is God. And God spends pretty lavishly with his grace, as we're going to see. So this is the story. It goes, there's a son, and he goes to his father. And he says, Father, I want my end of the inheritance. And I'd like it now. So what usually has to take place first before someone gets their inheritance? Someone's got to die, right? So essentially, the son is going up to the father and saying, Father, I know you're not dead yet. But in my mind, you are. I will, let's pretend that you're dead so that I can get my money now and go off with it. And the father, in his grace, he, he acquiesces. He, he agrees. He does it. He divides his land. He divides his, his holdings, his, his resources, and he gives the son what he wants. And then the text tells us that he goes off and he spends his money in wild living, prostitutes, the whole nine yards. He goes off and has a ball, goes off to another country, lives it up. But then he eventually, as it, it usually this happens, he, he runs out. And he starts to get desperate. I think that's probably what happened to people I met on, on Monday night. You get a little desperate. So for him, he didn't want to knock off a pharmacy. I guess they, they didn't have those back then. But instead, what he does is he tries to seek out work. He goes to a farm and he asks the owner, the farmer, if he could work feeding and looking after his pigs. Now, you need to understand in the context here, for a Hebrew, for this person to go and feed pigs, this is the worst job a person could possibly do. Pigs were unclean. They're disgusting. 
And now this guy is going to go in after and serve the pigs. In fact, so much so that he's sitting there and he's longing after the food that the pigs are eating. This is how desperate he is. He wants to eat the raw, like the gross food that pigs want. That's how bad he's gotten. And so he starts to think of himself. A man tends to contemplate his life when he finds himself in such circumstances, doesn't he? And he starts to think, you know what? I had it pretty good back home, didn't I? My father was a pretty, he was a pretty good guy. Maybe I'm going to go back there. But so he starts to, to write a speech in his mind. And he said he's, he's going to go back and he's going to say, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. Will you please take me back? But not as a son. I don't deserve to come back as a son. Will you just take me back as a servant? Will you let me come back as one of the servants? Because I know you treat your servants good. You love your servants and you treat them good. I'll just, I'll come back as one of the servants. So he sets off and he's looking to come back home. And before he even really gets in the driveway, he's still a long way off. The text tells us that the father sees the son. And he doesn't stand there in indignation and cross his arms and, and you know, wait for him to come up and, you know, wait for his apology. No, he, the text says he runs. He runs down. And you, you got to picture this. In this culture, you don't run when you're a member of the Hebrew aristocracy, essentially. When you're a landowner, you don't run. That is beneath you. But this guy runs when he sees his son. And he catches him up and starts to give him a hug. And his son is like, whoa, dad, you know, I got this speech. I've been planning it all the way here. And so he starts to tell him, you know, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. I've, I've sinned against heaven. Please accept my apology. And his dad, almost as if he doesn't even hear it. He does, but as if he doesn't, he starts telling his servants, hey, let's get a robe on this guy. My son's come home. Let's put a ring on that finger. And not only that, Let's take the best, the choicest piece of livestock that we have, the fattened calf, that we've been saving up for just a special occasion, and let's have that. Let's, let's throw a party. Because my son was dead, and now he's alive. My son was lost, but now he's found. That's how much God loves a person when they come to him. That's how much he wants, and that's how he treats it. At the end of the day, people, God wants us to come to him. God wants us to come home. And this is how much he loves you. There's a fantastic psalm, Psalm 103, and in it it talks about that God, when he removes our transgressions from us, or removes our sins from us, he removes them as far as the east is from the west. Now I want you to imagine a globe and you're tracing the globe, and you're going north. And once you hit the pole, you start all, you start hitting going south, right? You're going south, north, south. But east and west, they don't meet, do they? When you're going, when you're going around that map, you just keep going. For you guys, this is east, west, west. For me, it's east, right? I think that's that's you don't. They don't meet up, do they? They're gone in God's mind. That's how much. He loves us. When we repent, when we say we're sorry, when we seek forgiveness, it's gone. Tim Keller, a preacher down in the States, he says, no one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel. Right? You Pharisees, tax collectors, you guys aren't too good. You need the grace of the gospel. Nor so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. You sinners and tax collectors, come home.
So we find freedom when we seek forgiveness of God because He is a God who forgives. The second thing I want us to walk out of here today is is how to apply this in our lives. First, if you haven't already, we want to ask God forgiveness. This is a, a great start. We ask for His forgiveness. Andrew's already talked about uh, when he was going through that we have had our way God, our way to God paved by the blood of Christ. There's no sacrifice without the blood. But God, forgiveness is such a wonderful thing that he also provides freedom in another way. We find freedom when we offer forgiveness. When we offer forgiveness. Even if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this is just good life practice. This is good life practice. Have you ever held on to resentment against someone? Well, they just went on with their lives and you can't believe it. Don't you know how much you've hurt me? Don't you know? And you just walk along as if everything's okay? Have you ever, you ever thought that about somebody? They, they seem to be thinking everything is fine. We're inside, deep inside. Things aren't okay. And we hold on to that. We hold on to that. Jesus taught us, though, a lot of things. And, and this primary thing that he wanted us to know is that God is knowable. He wanted us to get to know the Father. But he also wanted it to help us be better at life. And forgiveness makes us better at life. It makes this life better. Check this story out. There's this woman uh, from Iran. Her name is Samara. And she uh, had a few sons. And in 2007, her son Abdallah was stabbed and killed in a street brawl. The kicker was that Abdallah was killed by his childhood friend. They'd played soccer together, or they call it football, as the rest of the world does. They'd grown up together, gone to school together, and during this fight, Bilal killed Abdallah. Samara was furious in her grief. She'd already lost her youngest son when she, he was 11 in a motorcycle accident, and so she was determined Bilal was going to hang. That was how it goes. The, the way Iranian law works is that if you're wronged, if someone in your family is killed, you get to be the executioner. They're on a chair. You can kick it out. Or you can pardon them. That's the way it works. But she was like, no, no forgiveness for him. She said, we couldn't sleep that night, the night before. We were all awake until morning, until the last minute. I didn't want to forgive. I couldn't persuade myself to forgive. And seconds away from the execution taking place, Bilal, standing on his chair, was calling out, please forgive, he shouted, even if it's just for my mom and dad. And Samara furiously yelled back, did you show my son's mom and dad forgiveness? How am I supposed to forgive you for doing that? But Bilal's fate took an unexpected turn. When as she came up and everyone expected her to kick out the chair, she clambers up on a stool and instead hauls off and slaps him right in the face. And she said, after that, I felt as if rage vanished within my heart. I felt as if the blood in my veins began to flow again and I burst into tears and I called my husband and asked him to come and remove the noose. And with seconds, her husband was unhooking the rope from Bilal's neck. She pardoned him. 
Bilal's mother was there and she was trying to kiss her feet as a sign of respect and gratitude, but Samara wouldn't have it. She lifted her up and said, how can you kiss my feet? This is just one mother to another. We both experienced loss here. And after pardoning her son, later she went to visit her son's grave. And then one week after pardoning Benal, Samara was found, she said she'd found a piece lost since her son's death. Losing a child is like losing a part of your body. All these years I felt like a moving dead body, but now I feel very calm. I feel I'm at peace. I feel that vengeance has left my heart because she was able to forgive. She's able to forgive that. So from a practical standpoint, then we see forgiveness is something that can help us out. It can set us free from a prison that we create for ourselves. It can release that. It breaks that prison of resentment. It helps us be a good person. But if we consider ourselves a follower of Jesus Christ, this isn't a choice. We don't have the choice about whether or not we forgive. This is something that we're called to do. It isn't just Jesus is a good moral teacher and we want to follow him and, and, you know, sing some songs and love one another and hope thing is going to be okay. Jesus is more than just a moral teacher. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. And when our Lord says he wants us to do something, we have the privilege, the privilege of getting to do that. In Matthew 18, in fact, he tells a bit of a disturbing uh, parable when he's talking to uh, some people. Peter asks him, how many times am I supposed to forgive? And he says, you're supposed to give, forgive 77 times 7 times. So essentially, a lot of times you're supposed to forgive. You're never supposed to stop forgiving. And then he tells this story about, it's called the unmerciful servant. And it's in Matthew 18. And essentially, the story goes that there's a king and he's starting to collect some of the debts from his servants. He calls one of them in. And he says, you owe me 10,000, in, in your NIV, it'll say 10,000 bags of gold. In the Greek, the word is talent, and a talent is equi- equivalent to 20 years' wages. You owe me 10,000 times 20 years' wages. So I'm going to sell you, your wife, your children. All of that is, you guys are now mine until we can figure this out. And the servant goes down on his knees and he begs and says, please, please forgive me. Have patience with me. And the king has patience with him. And he not only lets him go, but he forgives the debt. It's a beautiful story. Until the servant goes outside. And the servant is walking outside, and he runs into a buddy of his, another servant, who happens to owe him money. Says he owes him a hundred pieces of silver. In the Greek, it's a denarius. It's one day's wages. So he owes him three and a half months' wages. And the text says he starts choking the other person and throws him down and says, pay me what you owe me. And the guy says, please forgive me. Have patience with me, begging him. And he says, no, and he hasn't thrown into jail. So the king gets word of what happened. He's not pleased. He drags him in. He says, you wicked servant. How in the world do you think that you can take my forgiveness, my mercy, and not show it to other people. You had the perfect opportunity to pay it forward, to be able to give what you have been given, and this is how you decide to treat people? Are you kidding me? So the text tells us that he throws him in prison, reinstitutes the debt. And Jesus says, in the kingdom of heaven, this is how it goes. God wants 
us to forgive one another. He doesn't tolerate unforgiveness from people that say they follow him. So when we pray to God, when we go through the Lord's Prayer and we pray, God, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. We do that with a searching heart, don't we? We go through those beautiful words with a searching heart and we think, who has wronged us? Who can I show forgiveness to? We want to know that. We forgive because it's awesome. We don't forgive because of fear or anything like that. We forgive because we've been shown that forgiveness. So we find freedom and forgiveness when we offer forgiveness to others. So where does this all leave me and, and my experience with my my new acquaintances at the at the pharmacy? Right? Well, as it turns out, I asked the question, do I have to or should I, or am I supposed to just forgive these people? And I want to tell you today that, in fact, I get to. I get to forgive them. It's an honor to be able to show them forgiveness because my Heavenly Father is in the forgiveness business, isn't he? And I want to be about my Heavenly Father's business. Another way of looking at that is, well, I was yet a sinner. Jesus died for me. And he showed me such grace and paved the way that ensured that God's forgiveness is there for me if I turn to him. So I hope these people, they receive justice, not for my sake, but for theirs. I want them to be able to hit whatever it does to help turn them around. And I hope that that is the case. But ultimately, that's God's job. Just Final justice is God's job. And if you're here next week, we're going to be getting into that. About There's no escape for God's justice. But for now, we ourselves can escape prisons of sin and resentment by seeking God's forgiveness and then offering that forgiveness to those that wrong us because there is freedom in forgiveness. Let's pray. Father God, you are incredible. As we think about all of the things that happen in our world and all of the things that hurt us and all the bad things that happen um, and all the things that we've done or, or that we know of, it's incredible to think that you are so gracious that you forgive that all when people turn and seek your grace. You're just, words can't describe how awesome you are. And we're honored to be able to now take part in song lifting it up to you in praise and worship. Please hear us and take it with the intent that which it's meant. We love you, and we lift this up in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.